Glad to be here today. Man, I'm telling you, it's fun to be in church. Have you ever gone through a season where you didn't like church? Really, it's really what Brady said. It's really not the church's fault. Your wood's wet. Now, you can even go to a dull church, and if they say anything at all about Jesus, it's exciting. Right? Because Jesus is always exciting. How many of you ladies went on the women's retreat? Can I see your hand? Was that good? Good, 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 good. Well, I heard great, great reports about that. At the end of the service, when you give, I want those of you uh, whose ladies, if you went or if your spouse went, men, I want you to give a love offering because we want to bless the speakers that came to the women's retreat, all right? So just I'll remind you at the end of the service. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, hi, David. How are you? <laughs> This is David Vestal. He's uh, on staff at Sojourn Church, one of our sister churches. And in two weeks, we're going to be planting a church in Frisco. So he's on staff at Sojourn. Before he's on staff at Sojourn, he was over all the security for Ross Perot. And before that, he was an undercover Dallas police officer. I th so I think he's very suited to be a pastor. <laughs> he's ready to go. So blessings. I'm glad you're here. All right, turn to uh, Ezekiel 18 and Psalm 136. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel 18, because that's the first uh, one we'll use. Actually, not the first scripture we'll use, but the first of these two. And then put your little, um, uh, what do you call that? Little marker dilly. Is that what it's called? Is that the official name? Your marker dilly. Put your marker dilly at Psalm 136. Or uh, a finger, or a friend's finger, or something. Put it at Psalm 136, all right? And we're going through a series on the attributes of God. And I just want to remind you that the attributes of God are things that God is, not things that He does. If, if God's attributes were something that He had, rather than something that He is, then He might lose them. Or He might... Uh, use them up, or he might run out. He might misplace them. He might be busy with one of his attributes uh, in China and not have enough for us over here or something. So let me, I just want to clarify, his attributes are not just what he does, but they are who he is. This week we're going to talk about God is justice and mercy. God is justice and mercy. Now, the reason I said that, the way I said it, I didn't say God is just and merciful. He is just and He is merciful, but you have to understand this. He is just because He is justice. He is merciful because He is mercy. That is His very being, what He is, who He is. And I had a dilemma when I began studying for this because of the definition of justice and mercy. And let me explain it to you. Justice is giving someone what he deserves. That's justice. Mercy is not giving someone what he deserves. And grace, even though we're not going to talk about grace this week, I'll just give you, a, give you the full picture here. Grace is giving someone what he doesn't deserve. Are y'all following me on that? Let me, let me go back. Over here, this is where justice stands. Justice is giving someone what he deserves. Mercy is not giving someone what he deserves. And grace is giving someone what he doesn't 
deserve. Everyone follow that. Now, how can God be justice and mercy? In other words, how can God give someone what he deserves and not give someone what he deserves? You understand what I'm saying? This is where my dilemma was this way. And I, when the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to preach on justice and mercy, I said, I'd rather not. Because they don't work together. They don't fit. They're opposites, God. You don't seem to understand that. Maybe you haven't studied the attributes like I have, God. But justice is giving someone what he deserves, and mercy is not giving someone what he deserves. I can't preach them together. But we have to understand, God was completely just when he dealt with you, and he was completely merciful when he dealt with you. Completely. But how? And that's what we want to look at. Now, there are many scriptures that put justice and mercy together. These are not the ones I had you turn to. We'll get to those in a minute. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Notice the word mercy and justice in the same verse describing God. Uh, Psalm 101, verse 1. David said, I will sing of your mercy and justice. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord will wait. This whole verse seems like it's talking about mercy. The Lord is going to wait that He may be gracious to you. And therefore He will be exalted that He may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who ever. See, that one statement there doesn't seem to fit to me in the verse. For the Lord is a God of justice. The whole verse is talking about mercy and grace. And then it says, but God's a God of justice. But remember, justice is giving you what you deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. And grace is giving you what you don't deserve. So see, they just don't seem to fit. And then in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, God says, I will betroth you or marry you to me forever. Now that's a great word right there. Just the word forever in that verse is pretty exciting. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. You know what God is saying? Salvation was wrought by justice and mercy. And that's what we want to understand. Now, how can God give someone justice and mercy. Think about this. If justice is giving you what you deserve and mercy is giving you what you don't or not giving you what you deserve, how can God do both? How can God give me justice and mercy? Maybe he's more merciful than he is just. Praise God, his mercy won out. His mercy and justice were up there fighting. Thank the Lord that His mercy is just a little bit stronger than His justice. No! God, everything God is, God is fully. And the reason we don't understand this is because we really don't understand God's justice and what His justice did for us. You know, they named our... Uh, I really like it, but they named the war that we're entering into, and we are going to war, by the way, the Lord spoke that to me this last week when the elders were in a prayer meeting, gave me a scripture on it, Isaiah 33, verse 1. And then we heard the president speak after that. But they named it this war. I like the name of it. You, did you hear the name this week? Infinite Justice. You know what President uh, 
Bush is trying to say through that, we're not going to stop until justice is served. Now, I like it. Actually, though, God is really the only one who's infinitely just. His justice has no measures, no limits, no bounds. But I still like that infinite justice. Well, our problem is we don't understand justice, though. So first we have to understand that before we can understand mercy. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. God is the full embodiment of justice. God is the full embodiment of justice. Everything justice is, God is. Whatever God is, He is fully. Now, Ezekiel chapter 18, are you there? Ezekiel 18, verse 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. And some versions use the word right, and some versions use the word just, and some use the word equal. You, you say, the way of the Lord is not just, it's not fair, it's not right, it's not equal. Hear now, o house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and just, and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. And again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet, and he repeats himself, the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair? and your ways which are not fair. Now this word fair is normally translated in the Old Testament just. And the Hebrew meaning of this word is morally equal. In other words, if someone is just, that person is morally equal. There's an equality there. We were all born morally unequal. Let me say it another way. Unequal is inequity. Something that is not equal, it's, we, are, it, we describe it by, it is inequity. Now I want you to notice the closeness of this word to another word. Inequity, iniquity. It's the same root word. Iniquity is inequity. Iniquity is not morally equal. You see, justice means to be equal, to be morally equal, and even goes back to scales. When you go, if you ever go to the courthouse, you'll probably see the, the statue or the inscription or the, the picture of the lady holding the scales, and it represents justice. What it means is, is when someone goes to court, they put all of the evidence in one side of the scales, and then the other side of the scale, they don't put uh, prosecutor on one side and defense on the other. They put all the evidence, prosecution and defense, on one side. On the other side of the scales, they put justice. And they weigh out as to whether the person is guilty or not guilty. As a matter of fact, the word judgment means the application of justice. When a judge renders a judgment, it's supposed to be the application of justice. If the man is guilty, then justice is that he gets a guilty verdict. That's the application of justice. If he's innocent, he gets an innocent verdict. So we need to understand justice. God is the only one just. 
God is the only one morally equal. When God's justice confronts us, we are all found lacking. Every one of us. In, in essence, it's kind of like to just put God's justice in one side of the scale and us, our works, our righteousness in the other side of the scale. It's kind of like putting 800 million tons in this side of the scale and a feather on the other side of the scale. It's not going to move the scale at all. And see, let me just explain something. Many of us as Christians feel like that we don't need God's uh, mercy as much now as we used to. Boy, you should have seen me when I first got saved. Boy, I was really bad then. I'm, I'm pretty good now compared to that. We'll just add two or three more feathers <laughs> to that side of the scale and see if you can tip it any at all. We still need God's mercy. Now, how can God be justice and mercy? The first thing we need to understand about God is that God is one. He's not parts. You see, it's difficult for us to understand this because we are parts. We are spirit, soul, and body. And even our body has parts. We have a torso, and we have a head, and we have arms, and hands, and legs. You can lose even a part of your body and continue living. You could lose a hand and continue living or not have legs and continue life. You can lose part of you and still keep living. As a matter of fact, your mind has parts. Some of you lost part of your mind years ago and you don't even remember it. You don't even know. But you're still living. You're continuing on. But we that's because we're made in parts. God doesn't have parts. God is not part justice and part mercy Part love, part truth, and part righteousness. Listen, God is all justice, all mercy, all love, and all righteousness. God is one. See, when the Bible says God is one, it's not referring so much to uh, the three persons of the Trinity. It's referring to that He is all one. He is unitary. He is completely one and made up all by Himself. He is self-contained. He is self-existent. God is one like a diamond is one. You don't see different parts of a diamond. It's all one. But if you look at a diamond, you'll see different colors, different facets of that diamond. God is not harmonious. We have, we have said this before. God is harmonious. No, God cannot be harmonious because harmony means two or more parts. God doesn't have parts. He is all one. So the first thing we have to understand is God is completely justice. His attributes are not warring against each other. One doesn't lead for a while, and then the other one leads for a while. See, a judge sitting on a bench, is he's made up of parts. And when a judge is rendering a verdict, he's, his justice and his mercy are warring. But he is a human. That is not God. See a judge sitting there and he thinks, well, the law says I have to do this, but I want to be merciful to the guy. The guy turned himself in and the guy's trying to do what's right. and He's, he's got a job now, but the law says, but I want to be merciful. That's what a judge goes through. God doesn't go through that. God's not part mercy and part justice. He's completely justice. And listen again, his justice is not an outside force causing him to act. In other words, some people say, well, God would be merciful, but His justice demands. No, His justice doesn't demand Him to do anything. God demands. Justice doesn't demand God. God demands. God's in control. His justice is not an outside force. It is who He is. 
It is completely, totally who He is. So we have to understand that. So how in the world can God be just and merciful to me? Well, I explained it to you. It's very easy. It's very simple. God says to every person in the world, get in the scales. And for 19 years, I was in that scale trying to make it go down, trying to add up, trying to do things, trying to go to church, trying to get right with God, trying to do the right thing. 19 years I did that. Finally, someone said to me, you can't add up. You can't do the right thing. Christ has already done it for you. All you can do is receive Him. I'm standing in that scale. I'm way up high in there. God's justice is way down low. And God said to me, listen, you're morally unequal. There's something wrong with you. And for the first time in my life at 19 years old in that motel room, I said, you're right. You're right. I am morally unequal. I'm a sinner. I can't do it, God. I'm trying to do it. I've been trying to live right my whole life. I can't do it. Will you come into my life? And Jesus Christ stepped on the scales with me and justice from the other side of the scales shouted out, Equal! And God's, God's justice was satisfied. See, the only way... See, God has been totally just with me. You know how He can give me justice? Because Jesus got on the scales with me. He's right there. See, let me give you another illustration. You're standing in front of a judge. God's the judge. God says to you, you're a sinner, and your sentence is death. That's my sentence. Every one of us, we were born with the sentence of death on us. Your sentence is death. And I'm just about to be carried out of the room. And Jesus walked up to me and said, I am Jesus, uh, God's son. And um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I've already carried out your sentence. I've already done it. Now, you can accept that or you can die. You got, you, it's your choice. You can, you can accept what I did or you can get your own sentence and carry it out. What do you want to do? Now, that's salvation. I said, no, okay, no, wait, wait. Now, I can go die. Or it's not that I'm sending him to die. See, he's already died. See, I don't have to feel bad about it. He already did it. So, uh, so or, or I can just accept you, accept what you did, and I can live. Mm-hmm, that's right. I, I won't accept what he did. Now your sentence is life. That's it. Just like that. The reason that God has been totally just with me is because the atonement was perfect. It was complete. See, when we talk about the attributes of God, God is complete and perfect. Everything God does, He does perfectly. So listen to me. God's atonement was perfect. We cannot even imagine it. God's suffering was more than a man would suffer if he went to hell. Because God's justice was completely, totally satisfied in the atonement of Christ. God's justice looks at an unatoned for man and sentences him to die. And God's justice looks at an atoned for man and sentences him to live. I'm going to heaven because of God's justice. Not just His mercy and His grace, His justice. Let me show you. One of our favorite scriptures bears us out that it's His justice that forgives us, not His mercy. 
His mercy sent Christ to the cross. His, I'm not trying to, to uh, uh, diminish His mercy, but I want you to understand how great His justice is in salvation as well. This is one of our favorite scriptures, and we, we didn't even realize it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say if we confess our sins, He's faithful and merciful. His mercy will forgive us. No, God is completely, totally righteous and justified to forgive me. Because Christ paid my debt in full. Paid the whole amount. See Psalm 32. David got a hold of this. Psalm 32 verse 1. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Look at that phrase. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Why? Why can God not impute iniquity to me? Because He already imputed my iniquity to Christ. All of my iniquity. As a matter of fact, the whole world's iniquity has been imputed to Christ. This makes witnessing a whole lot easier. I don't know if you're catching that, but it makes witnessing so easy. Just tell people, listen, uh, because of sin, uh, your sentence is death. But Jesus has already died. All you got to do is accept it. All you got to do is receive it. That's it. Your iniquity has already been imputed to Christ if you'll receive it. See, God's justice sentences me to heaven. His mercy and His justice aren't opposites. God's not schizophrenic. His justice and His mercy aren't warring. You never have to worry about coming to God and getting His justice side rather than His mercy side because I'm going to tell you something. His justice has justified you. Well, what about His mercy then? Here's the second thing we need to understand. God is the full embodiment of mercy. Everything mercy is, God is. God's mercy had no beginning. His mercy has no end. His mercy doesn't increase or decrease. God, let me say this, mercy is because God is. God invented mercy. And it's always existed and it always will exist. God's mercy does not increase with the intercession of Christ. Listen to me. It's not that God is on the throne and God is, He's justice and boy, He's, he's a judge and He just wants to get all of us and if it wasn't for Jesus, they're praying for us. Boy, God would get us. He'd drop the hammer on us. No. Jesus' intercession does not increase the mercy of God. The mercy of God is full and it is complete. And it was His mercy that sent Christ to the cross. It was God's idea to redeem you, not yours. It was His mercy. God's mercy has always existed. It's because God has no limits, His mercy has no limits. Justice didn't lead God in the Old Testament and mercy is leading Him now. Thank God we're in the New Testament. God doesn't change. God is immutable. It's one of His attributes. He doesn't change. His mercy has always existed and always will. Listen, His mercy is not going to end one day either. You know, right now we're in the age of mercy. But boy, when the rapture comes, when the second comes, you know, God's, you ever heard this? God's on the mercy seat now. But you know, He's going to get up. He's going to sit down on the judgment seat one day. 
And then His mercy is going to end. His mercy is never going to end. Do you realize the reason we're still breathing is His mercy? Lamentation says the reason we're not consumed is because of God's mercy. God's mercy, God's mercy, Psalm 136. Are you there? Psalm 136, is that one of the scriptures I told you to turn to? I wanted you to turn to it because I only put the first three verses on the PowerPoint. But you just need to glance at your Bible and see the whole thing. Psalm 136, 6 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of God, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. And then you got your Bibles there. Look at verse 4, the second part of it. Look at the second part of verse 5. Second part of verse 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way down to verse 26. See that? For his mercy endures forever. By the way, if you ever wanted to memorize a long psalm, you can do this one because once you get the first verse, you got half of it done, see? <laughs> For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. Just get that down, then just get those other few lines. And you say, I got to memorize a real long psalm. Or if you want to memorize a short one, you can do Psalm 133. It's only three verses. So, his mercy endures forever. I have a question for you. Why doesn't God immediately judge the wicked? See, we ask that many, many times. Something bad happens, we say, God, why don't you do, why don't you bring justice? Why don't you immediately judge the wicked? I'm going to tell you why he doesn't immediately judge the wicked. Because he didn't immediately judge you. And we're all the wicked. Why can a man live an immoral, blasphemous life and be eternally saved on his deathbed? Because of the mercy of God. Look at this scripture, Ezekiel 33, 11. God said, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You see that scripture? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We must understand God doesn't get excited when a wicked, immoral, blasphemous man dies. If Sodom Hussein dies without Christ, it will not please Christ. He wants every wicked man to be saved. That's his mercy. The best definition of mercy is not to have compassion. And that's what most definitions are. That is not a good definition in my opinion. The best definition of mercy is not to have compassion. Compassion. We talk about, what about the word compassionate? That It's an adjective. It describes someone. He is compassionate. Let me tell you, there's a word spelled just the same as compassionate, but it's not an adjective. It's a verb. And we don't use it much in our language anymore. It's compassionate. It's a verb. In other words, God compassionates toward people. The best definition of mercy is not to have compassion, but to compassionate. In other words, mercy is active. See, when God looked down at sinful man and saw sinful man on its way to hell, God didn't just have compassion, God compassionated. God did something. He sent His Son to redeem us. God put His empathy into action. This uh, last week, a little girl in our neighborhood set up a lemonade stand. Every now and then children do that, you know. But her sign was different from other kids I've seen, you may have seen something like this. It said, all proceeds go to the American Red Cross. She sold more lemonade probably than anybody's ever sold lemonade, you know. 
Why? Listen, there was a tragedy in our nation, and this little girl, probably nine or ten years old, didn't just have compassion for the tragedy. She compassionated. She did something to release her compassion. Let me put it to you another way. She did what was in her ability to do. Listen to me. God did what was in His ability to do to redeem sinful man. But we can never forget that it cost Him His life. One day, Jesus is talking to His disciples and He said, listen, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. Peter pulled him aside and said, Lord, don't talk like that. No, no, that can't be. And in essence, this is what Jesus said. Peter, you don't understand. If I don't die, you can't live. See, God's justice could not have justified me if His mercy didn't send Him to the cross. Because His mercy sent Him to the cross, His justice can now say, justified. Because he's been, His debt has been paid in full. If I don't die, you can't live. That's what Jesus was saying. In World War one after the war, there were many, many, many orphans in Europe. And America allocated funds to try to help the orphans in Europe. At one of the orphanages, there's the story told of the man who, very old, very weak, very thin, came into the orphanage one day with a little girl, very thin, very malnourished, holding his hand. He said, I'd like you to take my little girl in. They said, are you the father? He said, yes. They said, I, we're so sorry. But our rules are that if one or more of the parents is living, we cannot take care of it. We can't take the children in. I'm so, I'm so sorry. But we have so many orphans, we don't have funds to be able to handle all of the children. He said, you, you don't understand. I, I was in a prison camp. I'm sick. I can't feed myself. I can't feed her. If you don't take her in, she'll die. They said, we're, we're sorry. We, there's nothing we can do. And then the man said, do you mean if I were dead and you'd take my little girl in and you'd feed her and you'd give her clothes, and you'd give her a home if I were dead. And they said, yes. He pulled the little thin girl up to himself, and he hugged her, and he kissed her, and then he put her hand in the hand of the director of the orphanage, and he said to him, I'll arrange that. He went out and committed suicide. You see, Jesus put my hand in the hand of the fathers and said, I'll arrange that. And he did. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
I really don't want anyone looking around right now because this is a very important part of the service. I don't know if you know this, but every week during this series on the attributes of God, we've had people accept Christ. Every week, we've had people saved. Last night in the Saturday night service, we had seven people saved. Last night. And I want you to know some of you are here today maybe as a guest. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you come every week. I don't know. But you're not here by accident. Maybe for the first time in your life, you heard the salvation so simple, the plan of salvation. Jesus died for you, so you don't have to die. And all you have to do is accept it now. Will you accept it? I want to know, no one's looking around, how many of you would be honest to say, Robert, to be honest with you and with God, if I died right now, I'm really not sure I'd go to heaven. I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. Maybe you grew up in church. I don't know. But this is so important. How many of you would be honest to say, no one's looking around. If I died right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I'm not going to come to you or embarrass you in any way, but I want to pray for you. Would you just put your hand up where I can see it and then put it right back down? God bless you, man. Someone else? Put it way up high and then put it back down. Anyone else? Robert, I'm just not sure. God bless you. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. Right where you're seated. Because you don't need to leave not being sure. As I pray out loud, you pray this prayer in your heart. And if this is your heart, your desire, listen to me. God will hear you. All he's doing is waiting for you to say, please get on the scales with me. Please come into my life. So if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer right now in your heart. Dear God, pray that. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to come into my life today. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me today.